You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And just want to say thank you to everyone listening today. Uh, really appreciate you dropping in and hanging out with us. And uh, what we're going to do today is dive into the offensive line room. Um, I know some of you are going, wait a minute, we're not talking Aaron Rodgers right off the bat. No, we are not. Okay, it's it's reached a circus level now, and uh, that's not a shot at 12 or the organization. It's just everybody kind of dipping into the fun. Um, You guys know Devontae Adams is firing out tweets trying to get Aaron to Vegas. Aaron's, uh, you know, kind of playing along with it as well. Who knows? It may be true. You know, we'll find out in due time. And uh, regardless of whatever that decision is, the Green Bay Packers will go on. You guys know where I stand, how important I feel the quarterback position is. And uh, I think that the top choice would be to have Aaron come back. But if the organization and he decide to part ways, then, hey, here we go. It's the Jordan Love era, baby. Um, If Jordan Love doesn't work out, then guess what? We're looking for the next starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, right? But we're going to be here talking about, you know, every step of the way. There's just no reason to dip into all the the hoopla, the fun that's going on uh, on Twitter with Devontae Adams just really uh, having a good time. You know, it's funny, though. I, I did. I will say this. People are saying, uh, you know, there was one guy that tweeted out that he's just trolling y'all. They've done this before. And he was referring to the uh, Last Dance tweet and Instagram post. He wasn't trolling. <laughs> I will point that out. He didn't troll on that. <clears throat> the media got it completely wrong. The media took that as, oh, dang, Aaron Rodgers is leaving. And what happened? Devontae Adams ended up being the one leading. The whole last dance thing was about Devontae Adams leaving the Green Bay Packers, not Aaron Rodgers. They knew it was going to be the last dance because Devontae was dug in and he was ready to move on after he didn't get, you know, uh, what he wanted offered two years ago is a rumor. I'm not going to sit here and say it's 100% fact, um, you know, because Devontae made it clear he wanted to play in Vegas closer to home, play with Derek Carr. We've seen how that worked out. <laughs> um, that's not a knock against Tay. Tay's still an elite, if not the best receiver in the league. <clears throat> but I just mentioned all that because they weren't trolling. That's exactly what they said was going to happen. Now, did Green Bay come in and try to make some last-ditch efforts and Brian Gutekunst threw all the money on the table for Tay and Tay still walked away? Absolutely, that, that happened, right? And uh, Aaron Rodgers lobbied for it. They wanted him back, but he had made his mind up. So it's amazing how – when the media screws something up, they immediately go back to, well, no, that wasn't really true. This is what happened, bub. Hate to break it to you. Like, we know this is fact now because the whole story is out. And you're still clinging to your side of the story that, no, that wasn't that wasn't how it happened. It, it just 
it's amazing to me. So um, with that being said, though, that that whole thing is about hit a different level. Now, if if you want to knock Aaron Rodgers for playing along and kind of stoking the fire, hey, have at it. You know, um, I, do I wish he wouldn't do that? Absolutely. Just like I wish he would be a perfect angel on the field and not get upset. But we've showed you tape after tape after tape. Troy Aikman, Steve Young, um, heck, Tom Brady over and over and over. All the great quarterbacks. I, there's one story I didn't tell about a quarterback getting mad on the field, right? And that was Bart Starr. I can't remember the player's name. I need to find the clip because it's on an old NFL Films clip where Jerry Kramer tells the story of this offensive lineman kept whiffing on his block. And Bart Starr told him in the huddle in front of all of his teammates, he said, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, if that so-and-so gets through the line one more time, I'm going to kick you square in the pants in front of all these thousands of people in this stadium. Bart Starr said that to a teammate in front of other teammates. But I know, you know, it it, it only only the bad, quote-unquote, bad people that play quarterback, you know, do stuff like that. So it's football, man. It gets ugly out there, right? And in the heat of the battle, Bill Belichick said it best. Look, when, when you're in the middle of a game and, you're, and you've are you got, you know, whatever it is, 35 seconds to call a play and make a decision and adjust and all this stuff, and, like, there's – you have – you give an order and you take an order. There's no time for discussion. So when someone's, you know, out there giving their all and they're at the peak when it comes to emotional stability or instability, then, hey, look, it's nothing personal. Get the play in. Get the play in. Let's go, man. Why did you call that? That's that, that's screw Let's don't do that again. Like, there's no – Hey, guys, can we stop? Hey, refs, hold on a minute. Give us a second. Listen, we got to do better. No, man, that's not how sports – that's not even how baseball is. Baseball is where I have my most experience, you know, personally. And, bro, when you're in the middle of a game, uh-uh, there ain't no, it'll be okay. No, no, dude. When he gets you – when he gets you 0-2, he's trying to throw that backdoor slider. Get your head out of your rear end. Keep your shoulder closed and drive that thing to right field or make sure it's off the plate. But you better go down swing. Like, that's how you talk to each other, right? And we're all picking up tips and stealing signs and all these things going on in the middle of a ball game. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it, it don't happen the way some fans expect it to, that everybody's out there playing patty cake and it'll be okay. Don't yell at him. How dare you? Don't yell at him. What? Come on. Grown adults here. So, anyway, we're going to talk about the offensive line now. <clears throat> I'm excited about it. You know, yesterday I got some great feedback uh, through email. Um, people talking about the running back room and how we broke down the contractual aspect of, hey, here's why it makes sense to hold on to Aaron Jones because if you get rid of him now, you're you bought high and you sold low, and that you never want to do that. He's still the best player on your offense. That could change this year. I hope it doesn't. It could, but right now with the information we got, I feel like you need to hold on to him. And the real tough decision is going to be made with AJ Dillon. Is that somebody you want? Uh, moving forward at $7 million per year. What we're going to do today is talk about the offensive line because there's a lot of talk that we should take a tackle with that number 15 pick, right? And I'm not completely against it. I'm not. What we're going to do, though, is look at the offensive line and talk about how much of the cap is allocated to the offensive line and is there room to take a pick. And we're going to do it through PFF grades. We're going to do it through cap hits, all those things. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. First things first. Let's go to Spotrack, and we're going to talk about the offensive line cap hits, okay? And I'm going to run right down the line. According to Spotrack, 2023 roster, we have 12 people that are on the roster right now. That, that probably catches a lot of people off guard, but this is what I was talking about in a, in a past podcast where you, you've got to build you got to build the foundation first. And when I say foundation, it doesn't mean your strongest pieces, and I know there can be a parallel drawn there that, you, you know, the foundation should represent the stability of the structure and this and that. I got it. I used to be in concrete and still myself. I'm saying you've got to have enough people to fill a roster. So the foundation when building a roster this time of the year isn't the stability of your best players and building off the back of that. It's, hey, let's make sure we got enough pieces in place to fill the team. So you've got 12 offensive linemen on the roster. I'm going to go down the line here. you got David Bottiari, Elton Jenkins, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Sean Ryan, Royce Newman, Zach Tom, Jake Hansen, Rasheed Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta, and uh, Gene or John DeLance, okay? Now, out of those, you've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tackles, and you've got one, two, three, four, four guards, and one center in Myers, okay? So what stands out to you there? We've only got one center. Now, I know Elton can play center, so that's something that definitely comes into play. But when it comes to cap hits, 
David Bakhtiari, $28.7 million against the cap this year. There's some people saying we just need to cut ties. We need to cut ties. Guys, this is – he he and Aaron Jones, <clears throat> excuse me, go hand in hand. I'm getting emotional. I'm just joking. I'm not. <laughs> he and Aaron Jones go hand in hand when it comes to kind of the same – where they're at both, you know, physically, mentally, and valued on the team. We just sat through two years of David Bakhtiari being injured, and he's finally healthy. No surgery scheduled. Everything's good to go. He's only going to get better from here on out. Right? When I say get better, the injury is not going to play a role. Now, he is getting older, yes. I, I kind of look it up, and I draw a parallel between him and Trent Williams out in San Francisco. Trent Williams is 34 years old. David Bakhtiari, I believe, is 31. He's 34 years old. Trent Williams is. Trent Williams is 34 years old. David Bakhtiari, I believe, is 31. We'll double-check that here in a minute. Um, so he can still play two, three, maybe four years because they said Trent Williams is coming back. He already announced I'm definitely coming back next year. Now, whether he plays for the Niners, I don't I don't know too much about that. It's just kind of drawing that parallel between elite offensive tackles, left tackles, two of the best in the game, two of, if not the best in the game. And that age difference, he's still playing at a high level three years older than David Bakhtiari, okay? That's a good sign that Bach's going to be all right there. So you sat through two years of injury. If you get rid of him now, you absorbed every negative aspect of that contract, of that player being hurt, and now you're going to cut him loose when he's healthy. That makes no sense. Again, it's the epitome of buying high and selling low. You do not want to do that, right? And his contract runs out the same time Aaron Jones's does. So I just want to mention 28.7 against the cap. That's the cap hit for 2023. <clears throat> Elton Jenkins. We're going to come back to David Bakhtiari, too, and talk about restructure. Elton Jenkins, $6.9 million against the cap this year. John Runyon, $2.7 million against the cap this year. Josh Myers, $1.5 million against the cap. Sean Ryan, $1.1. Royce Newman, $1. And then Zach Tom, $996K. Man, that, that looks so pretty sitting there. Less than a million-dollar cap hit for a guy – Who's, who's right now probably your starting right tackle. Uh, Jake Hansen, 940K. Rasheed Walker, 890K. Caleb Jones, 870K. Luke Tenuta, 870K. And Gene Orjan Delance at 750K. All right, so that's how your cap hits uh, kind of play out. Now, what's the thing that stands out to me right there? Zach Tom is probably your starting right tackle right now. Why do I mention that? Yash Nijman is not even technically on the roster. Now, we do have some some uh, some tender, uh, you know, uh, aspects to that that we can kind of cash in on. They can basically – they can tag him and get him back, to the best of my knowledge, and they may go that route, right, where they have a chance to uh, match an offer from another team. Um, if they go that route, then it's going to be a camp battle between Zach Tom and Yash Nijman for the right tackle job. I don't think we're going to go back to putting Elton Jenkins at right tackle. To me personally, that that was somewhat of a disaster. Now, Elton completely healthy next year might be a whole different ball game. You know, that's going to be one of the camp talks, I'm sure, unless we go out and draft a tackle high. But Zach Tom at right tackle, guys, your tackles are typically your most expensive positions, right? And the way I see it, you can pay – Two offensive linemen starter money. This is kind of the blueprint I have laid out. No more than three offensive linemen should have starter money. But two is like, man, that's the sweet spot. If you can field a good offensive line and only pay two of the two of the five starting offensive line starting money, then you you have really done a great job with your cap situation. We want Zach Tom to work out at right tackle. Now, some of you are going, but he's not a, he's not good at right tackle. That may be the case, but who are you comparing him to? Because Yash Nijman got benched, right? And they brought in Zach Tom there in the Detroit game. If he had started that game, might have had a little bit different outcome, right? So I I personally feel like Zach Tom has surpassed Yash Nijman. So now let him go test free agency. You make a decision. Is it worth it to have that guy as a swing tackle or, you know, like I said, competing for right tackle? But that's the other thing, too. If he's competing at right tackle against Zach Tom, this is exactly what Bill Parcells talked about in his A Football Life episode in the book he wrote. Um, I, I love Bill Parcells because I kind of relate to a guy that that's that heated on the field. My temper is the same way. Just everything I just shared with you about Bill Belichick, all that stuff, I, I, I tend to lean towards that thought process of, hey, don't be a baby, toughen up. You know, don't take – don't be so sensitive. John Madden said that to several of his players back in the day. You know, don't be so sensitive. They kind of approach the game that way, and I respond to that. 
I'm a no BS kind of guy. Like, hey, look, here, here is the plan. Here's what we have to accomplish. How are we going to get there? If you're going to get in the way of us getting there, get the hell out of the way. That's the way I see it, right? So he said, Bill Parcell said, that you have progress stoppers. When you've got a young talent that you see, man, they're capable of being this starting caliber player, and you bring in a veteran and start them over them, every rep they don't get, it's a progress stopper, right? Some people would probably hear that and go, that's what's happening with Jordan Love. It could be the case, but it, let me ask you this. Will we be worrying about Zach Tom starting at right tackle if we had a right tackle that last year, not this this past year, but the year before and the year before that, they were the best player in the entire National Football League because that's what Aaron Rodgers was. That's why you gotta you got to really understand, learn to, to differentiate between the two when it comes to caliber of player, right? If that was the case, put Zach Tom's butt on the bench and start that best offensive lineman in the entire NFL, right? So <clears throat> that's kind of how I see that. It can be a progress stopper if Yash continues to start over Zach Tom. If you want to throw Zach Tom in at right tackle and that's going to become his primary position, hey, have at it, let's roll with it, right? But this kind of one foot in, one foot out type deal is going to prevent him from progressing. And we've seen, we gave Yash every opportunity in the world last year, right? And at times he played good, but the consistency just wasn't there. You're probably saying it wasn't there with Zach Tom either, right? But there's a lot more upside with Zach Tom with him being so young. Okay, so now let's do this. Let's move on and set the best five offensive line on the roster. Okay, we talked about the cap hits. You've got two that you're paying starter money. Okay, we could afford to pay a third, so keep that in mind. That might be what you go after in free agency. If you do, then you say, okay, here's the starting right tackle moving forward. Or another position I'm going to mention is center, but let's talk about the PFF grades for a second. The five best offensive linemen. Bakhtiari graded out last year as a 79.8. He was the best offensive lineman by far on the roster. Elton Jenkins, 72.3. Zach Tom, 68.3. Yash Nijman, 63.1. So let me say that again. Zach Tom, 68.3. Yash Nijman, 63.1. John Runyon, 62.6. Josh Myers, 60.4. Now let's kind of talk about those a second. Bakhtiari, 79.8. I've got an arrow trending up. He's definitely getting better. He's getting stronger. As the year went on, he got better as the year went on, right? Um, there might have been a dip here or there, but you could tell the knee was getting healthier. He was getting more comfortable playing through that pain in that knee. Because, guys, that's what I want people to understand. I learned this a few years ago. When they talk about it, it takes a full year to come back from that knee. Here's what they're saying. This is from the doctors. This isn't me being a professional. I, I, all I do is gather information, and I want to re, you know, redisperse it to you guys through this podcast. What, what doctors say about those ACLs is it doesn't feel healthy. Like, it's still hurting. It still feels weak. And the biggest thing, when they say mentally, it takes a year to get back into it, the reason they're saying that is because the doctors the doctors tell them, listen, it won't snap. And players have talked about this on podcasts and interviews and books, all those things. They say, it feels like it's going to pop, Doc. It feels like it's going to snap again right now. And the doctor has to reassure them, I promise you, there's no way that can snap again. If it does, it's going to be a freak situation. It's normal to feel that pain. It's normal to feel that fatigue in there. It's normal because your body is adapting to a foreign object that we placed in it. We took that ligament completely out because it was snapped or we you know, just built off of it. And it's a fake one in there. And your body knows it's fake. So it's reacting as if, hey, this is a foreign object that's located in this joint, right? And what you've got to do is mentally no, it's okay. So you can play at your top level and get it back to 100%. Your body's got to get reacclimated to it. That's what they're talking about when it comes to it takes a year for a player to get back. So when it comes to David Bakhtiari, man, the dude was trending up all year. You could see him getting more and more comfortable. The same thing happened with Elton Jenkins. Very shaky when he finally got back on the field. He started to trend up towards the end of the year. So I got arrows pointing up for both those guys. I think that's why they gave the contract extension to Jenkins. You guys know I think they overpaid a little bit for Jenkins. You you hear the $6 million cap hit this year, and you don't think that. It's next year when the big hits start to bang, start to bang into place, right? So um, I have both of them trending up. Zach Tom I have sitting kind of neutral. Why do I have him sitting neutral right now? First of all, I was very happy with Zach Tom last year. I thought Zach Tom as a rookie to be able to be thrown in the fire like that, I thought he played very, very well. I thought he held his own at a 68.3. He held his own, but he couldn't take that starting job from Yash Nijman at right tackle, right? 
Now, some would say, well, he should be playing guard. He should be playing center. He's a natural left tackle. And I, I, I don't disagree with none of those things, but that's not the current situation we're in with the Green Bay Packers offensive line. Okay. So I feel like he didn't do everything. He didn't show enough to take to steal that job from Yash Nijman. Yash Nijman played bad, and they gave Tom the go there and whatever it was, the second half of the Detroit game. So I have him sitting idle right now. That's why I would like to see him start at right tackle, go through a full offseason, a full camp, and let's get him amped up. I want to see that PFF grade uh, jump into the 70s when it comes to Zach Tom. All right. Yash Nijman, he's trending down 63.1. Obviously, why? He got pulled in that Detroit game, right? And he's a free agent. So it's like, man, do not overpay for him. He kind of showed you at the end of the trail there. Now, if he goes and he doesn't get an offer and you can you can sign him for a veteran minimum or whatever, absolutely bring him back because he knows the system. He knows Aaron Rodgers' cadence. He knows everything as far as, uh, you know, the uh, the communication, the language that's spoken in this Matt LaFleur offense. All those things are very, very valuable. So I think you get him back for the right price, that's good. You know, I had him as a Tier 2 player coming in this offseason. My Tier 2 players were Mercedes Lewis, Yash Nijman, and Jaron Reed. Those are those players that I I feel like, hey, look, go let them test the market, and when they come back, don't be willing to overpay, but if it's in the ballpark of what you wanted to pay to outbid the team that's gave them the best offer, then I'm cool with bringing them back. But do not overpay. That Tier 1 with Keyshawn Nixon, Rudy Ford, Mason Crosby, Randall Cobb, I'm willing to overpay a little bit, and this is all assuming that Aaron Rodgers does come back because um, – when it comes to Mason Crosby and Randall Cobb, mainly Randall Cobb, I don't think Randall Cobb is going to come back if Aaron doesn't come back, personally. I could be wrong. but um, So, Tier 1, you're willing to overpay a bit. Tier 2, just a touch over you know, what the market offers them if it's in the ballpark of what you think is fair compensation. And then Tier 3 is only at the right price. Veteran minimum level. Alan Lazard, Bob Tunyon. Alan Lazard's asking for 15 to $17 million? Uh-uh. Heck no, dude. Sorry, you're not getting it here. Go get your best offer and bring it back. If he comes back with six million, I'm probably going, no. Now, if he comes back with four million, I might give you four and a half because the the blocking aspect of his game, all those things that you got to take into consideration. So just wanted to kind of line that up for you. Let's move on to the next player, John Runyon. I've got him sitting idle. He's at 62.6. Guys, he is a great pass blocker. I mean, when you look at John Runyon's pass blocking grade, um, I say great, maybe that's not the technical term, but a 77.0 is pretty darn good. But his run blocking grade is a 53.6, right? Um, right now, hey, he's he's the best you got at right guard, but I've got him sitting idle because he showed flashes, especially in the passing game. Like I said, a great pass, rush, or a great pass blocker, horrible run blocker, according to PFF. I've got him kind of sitting idle. Then you got Josh Myers at 60.4. Guys, it's fun to see that big center out there. Right, that big six foot five, six, however tall he is, it's it's so rare to see a center of his size. I want him to work out. I do. And at times, I showed you video clips where it looks like Aaron Rodgers was embracing him. Like, all right, man, they're starting to really bond. They're really starting to put things together. But a sixty point four for your starting center. You know, I had trouble this last offseason. I talked to Coach Hahn about it, and he talked me off the ledge. I'm like, man, I'm starting to think that center is more important than than actual left tackle with this wide zone boot scheme because there's sometimes the left tackle doesn't even come into play. The play is schemed to take the left tackle out, right? It, you know, specific plays. Center is always involved. Helping set the protection. In some cases, pulling. At other times, getting to the second level. You know, double team block, detach, onto the next level on a Mike or a Will or a Sam, right? So, like, you all these things, I'm starting to see more value in the center. The fact that the center – is the lowest graded offensive lineman that's probably going to be starting. That's rough, man. And he's a great pass blocker, but he's a horrible run blocker. So what it comes down to is, is it the scheme, the reason these guys are grading out so low on on running, you know, on uh, run blocking? Why do I ask that? You guys remember the episode that Ryan did, and I, I keep referring back to it because it really it was, the, it was the moment that I felt like he was seeing what I was seeing. And I had started to second guess myself, like, okay, maybe if I'm the only one saying this, maybe I'm missing something. But it just felt like what the offensive linemen at times were asked to do in the running game was impossible. And then you watch San Francisco and them run a GT pool, and it's like, holy cow. Like, they they only had to go four feet to seal off that wall for McCaffrey to, to bust it into the end zone. 
And then we see our guys having to go seven, eight yards down the field pulling, trying to reach certain spots. And it's like they had no shot because the defense was already keyed in on it. We've become predict- predictable, and we're asking too much of the offensive line as far as you know pulling and trying to get from point A to point B. So is it scheme that's causing those guys to have the low uh, run blocking grade? Is this what Aaron Rodgers was talking about? We need to simplify the offense. I think it is. I think that I think he was talking about a multitude of things. It's a very blanket statement. I get it. That can be frustrating, but I think that's part of what he was talking about. So, who are our five best offensive linemen right now? For me, left tackle David Bottiari, left guard Elton Jenkins. Your third best is Zach Tom. Throw him in at right tackle, right according to PFF. Um, right guard John Runyon, center Josh Myers. But again, man, John Runyon and Josh Myers, guys, 62.6 and 60.4, there's a lot of room for improvement there, right? So, with that being said, you know, you could slide Tom to center. You could do that. You could slide Elton to center, right? That's something that that we could, you know, kind of tinker with. But the fact that both Elton and Bach are settling at left tackle and left guard really nice. Zach Tom's your third highest graded player at right tackle if you'll keep him there. Now what holes do we have? Now you've got right guard and center, okay? Now, it just so happens you tip, typically have the pick of the litter after maybe the first one or two interior offensive linemen are taken in the first round. If there's one, two, maybe three guys that they like later in the draft, you may see them pull the trigger on some of that, right? It could happen. So we'll see how that plays out. That's kind of how I see it. Now, let's talk restructure real quick. So when we talk about the the uh, the roster in general, right, you guys, if you've listened to the uh, running back room episode that I did, I believe yesterday or the day before, um, if you have it, you can go find it um, wherever you get your podcasts. What we talked about with the running back room is keeping Aaron Jones and being able to shave $8 million off the cap, and that's a reasonable amount. You could go more, you could go less, but $8 million is kind of what I settled on. So you freed up $8 million, which means you're just nine over the cap right now. Okay, Let's talk about one of the other big guys here that we could restructure, and that's David Bakhtiari. Okay, David Bakhtiari this year, let's start with the basics. His cap hit is $28.7 million. His dead cap is $23.1 million. Okay, so what does that mean? The fact that he has – let me mark this out so I can stay on track here. I'm very – I guess OCD is the right word. <laughs> um, Bakhtiari in 2023, you can only free up $4 million in relief if he's cut. That's what that means. You got your dead cap number of 23.1. His total cap hit is 28.7. If you cut him loose, and I did simple math, I might be off 500 k here or there, just kind of giving a little bit of – leeway there. You're only $4 million in relief if he's cut. Now, if he's traded, you can get some of that to travel through a restructure. There's a lot of things you can do there. Uh, I get it. I'm not suggesting we trade. Our, I feel like he's the second best player on our offense, and it's at one of, if not the most important positions, according to professionals. You guys know I've wavered on left tackle being that important now. Um, so I think I think you want to keep him around. I just want to point out that in 2023, you can only free up $4 million if you cut them, all right, that's that's not going to happen. They're not they're not going to cut David Bakhtiari outright. Okay. Also in 2023, you've got 16.5 million in maximum restructure capability. What does that mean? Let's line it out here for you real quick. His cap hit is 28.7. He already has restru- restructure money on this year that can't be touched at 5.5 million. Workout bonus 700k. Roster bonus is 9.8. Signing bonus is six flat. And then base salary is 6.7. So the two numbers you key in on, what are they, guys? Say it with me. Base salary and roster bonus. Your base salary is the, the weekly checks that's cut down into 17 installments uh, and or whatever the team agreed to as far as payment, um, as far as cash in hand. And that's your base salary. That can be adjusted. And then roster bonus. What is the roster bonus? Again, that is the lump sum that they get paid or it's spread out over a multitude of weeks, but it's guaranteed money if they are on the roster week one. So you got 6.7 in base salary, 9.8 in roster bonus. You combine those two, and what do you come up with? Over 16 million, okay? So you can convert those to signing bonus. Now, the base salary, I believe there's a minimum aspect that has to be there. There might be a minimum aspect with the roster bonus as well, but essentially you've got 16.5 million in maximum restructure just for the year of 2023. How would you do that? 
when you convert those two to signing bonus, you can now spread that out over the multitude of the contract, over the, the life of the contract, I should say. So he's only got one year left on his deal in 2024. In 2024, you've got $22 million in cap relief if he's cut. So your penalty is only 11.5. His cap hits 32.9. Guys, there's no way on God's green earth that David Bakhtiari is going to start the season and he's going to uh, he's going to account for 32.9 million against the Packers cap. This is why I tell people don't get tore up over the cap. These numbers are going to be adjusted. They're going to be restructured. Heck, it might even be renegotiated. That's something that might come into play here. You got three players that could possibly renegotiate their contract. Aaron Rodgers, people go, there's no way. Okay, there's no way, but you still don't even know what the contract is. When they say no way, I'll go, okay, explain the contract to me. They can't explain it because nobody can. We've already talked about that. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Um, Aaron Jones, you can go to him for a renegotiation, right? David Bakhtiari, you can go to a renegotiation. You get those three in a room and go, all right, man, here's what we're faced with. We're $17 million over the cap, okay? All three of you guys deserve every dime that we've got allocated to you, right? Just understand if all three of you take that money, there's nothing left for us to make this roster better, okay? That's where we sit right now. That's how I would handle it. Would would you be willing to to forfeit uh you know three million? Would you be willing to forfeit three million? Would you no? If the answer is no, 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 all right, cool. Let's move on to the restructure aspect. When it comes to restructuring this contract, 16.5 million in 2023. 2024, you've got 20.7 million in maximum restructure. Okay. Let's don't even think about 2024. Let's assume nobody's willing to take a pay cut, give some cap relief to the Packers. Here's what we would do with David Bakhtiari. We tack on one voidable year, only one. You could do two if you want. The Packers like to do things in twos. Let's say you do two. You tack on two. Right now he's 32 years old. So I was one year off on that. He's actually uh, two years younger than Trent Williams. So you tack one on in 2025 and 2026, okay, voidable years. Let's say you you don't even take the full 16.5, right? Let's say you take $10 million there, right? $10 million of that, you're going to convert a roster bonus and base salary, divvy it up however you want, and you're going to convert that to a signing bonus and spread that out over the course of 25 and 26. If you do that now, you can drop his cap hit from $28.7 million this year all the way down to 18 million this year, 18.7 million. So you shave another 10 million off. Bang, there's that money. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So US Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. You're now seeing how we're going to get under on the cap, right? And again, what does that do for 2025? You're going to have five million towards the cap. Now, here's the thing about Bach, too. He may say, man, I want to play another two years. And you may restructure that contract. And he's saying, I'm willing to take less money then if you'll give me the security of more guaranteed money now. Okay, cool. Let's convert this full roster bonus of 9.8 plus a little bit off your base salary to 10 million guaranteed. Why would he do that? He would do that or he would at least entertain that because if he gets hurt this year, the knee blows out and he can't finish. Guess what? He loses out on that money because next year we just cut him outright and he's only got 11.5 in dead cap. What does that mean? There's 5.5 in restructure, okay? And there's 6 million in uh in signing bonus money there. That's the full 11 million that's actually guaranteed. The workout bonus isn't guaranteed, the roster bonus isn't guaranteed, and the base salary darn sure isn't guaranteed. So, that's why it becomes intriguing for him to sign an extension. The the conversation would start with, okay, Bach, how long do you want to play, man? You're 32 years old, right? You're under contract next year. Got it. You'll be 33. Do you, do you want to play beyond 33? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'd like to go. I'm going to try to go to 35. Okay, cool. Here's what we can do. We can give you this guaranteed money now, right? But you'll take less over the the length of the uh, full life of the contract. They convert that money, backload it, and bang, you're off to the races. That's how you would do it. So basically, if he wants to come back in, at 34 years old, 35 years old, the contract would be fully guaranteed, but it would be less money. Players do this all the time, taking fully guaranteed money over a much larger looking contract, right? That's why you have two different ways of reporting contracts through the media. They'll say, you know, it, it'll be, a, let's say, a $100 million deal, right? Five years, $100 million deal with $30 million guaranteed at signing, Okay. Wow, that's that's set. so they're they're not going to get the full seventy. That it's possible they don't, but they're guaranteed thirty million. So essentially, that becomes a three-year, thirty million dollar deal, right? Because you can tack on voidable years and extend that cap hit out. As we've seen this year, cap went through the roof. Everybody that we everything we had projected in our numbers, it was within a half a million, which is really cool when uh, when you could project it that close. So that's how Bakhtiari's restructure will take place. Now, if Bakhtiari played horrible last year, I wouldn't even be talking about this. I'd say, you know what, man? Let's hope he rebounds this year and be ready to cut him next year and free up $21 million in cap, right? But the fact that he's trending up and it looks like he's getting back to his old form, I would want him on the roster in 2024. Not at 32.9, but it would be a much lower, uh, lower cap hit either this year or next year. And again, I think some of this comes into play with Aaron Rodgers. If David Bakhtiari retires, I don't think it's the same situation where Cobb would want to test the market and see if he can get a little more money. Um, I think that Bakhtiari likes Green Bay. I think he'd want to stay in Green Bay, but man, things can change quick, right? So that's how Bakhtiari's restructure sits in the offensive line room. Now, when you go and look at Elton Jenkins's deal, um, I took a peek at it. Now, I'm not going to pull it back up, but when, when I took a peek at Elton Jenkins's deal, there's nothing we can do to free up cap this year. One player was Jair Alexander. I'm not going to break into that unless we cover the cornerback room. It's just there's a lot of offensive line talk right now. That's the reason I wanted to do this little exercise. And, again, yes, we're putting out a podcast with this, but this is an opportunity for me to uh, dive a little deeper into the offensive line room and understand exactly what's going on financially, compare it to PFF grades, compare it to what I've seen on tape, and, and, you know, again, I'm kind of torn. When I see the low run blocking grades of PFF and I see the tape, I'm like, what did they expect him to do right there? <laughs> but, again, you go off the information you got and you make the best educated decision, you know, based off of that data that you've collected. So, top O-line priorities. How will we wrap this up? Um, center or guard, man, that's your two spots. Center and right guard are your two weak spots right now, as it says, if you start Zach Tom at right tackle. So what does that mean? Do you go after an offensive lineman in the draft? You know, what if you moved – what if you moved uh, – and here's the thing. The the lowest one is definitely Myers. It's getting to the point now, guys, where I don't think they're going to do it either, but it kind of feels like, hey, let's upgrade the center position. I just I, – I, I think the Packers love him. I do. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand player evaluation better than front office. You guys hear me say that so many times you get tired of hearing me say it, but I want to make sure people that are hearing my voice, it's really, really clear. I'm not saying 
that I know more than the Packers front office. I'm just laying out, hey, here's how things look on paper, PFF data, what the tape shows, all those things. And, and we know the coaching staff in the front office will say one thing in the media and behind closed doors, they're like, hey, he's playing like hot garbage, right? I mean, that you know those conversations happen. The What they say in the media is not exactly, you know, not exactly how they feel. It's probably closer to the opposite in some cases. Um, but center or guard, so you could move Elton Jenkins to center or you can move Zach Tom to center. If you move Zach Tom to center, you got a big old hole there on the right tackle side. Well, you could just re-sign Yash. If you re-sign Yash, keep in mind, you're going back to a 63.1 from a 68.3 PFF grade, right? So that's something that center is most important to me. You just paid Elton Jenkins these, this big money. I think you hit free agency. And in free agency, you try to find somebody who's cheap that's going to be an upgraded guard. When I say cheap, somewhere to the three, probably the probably the two to four and a half million dollar cap hit range. That's what I'd be looking to do. If you can do that and you upgrade center, I mean, man, look at look at how important Jason Kelsey is to the Philadelphia Eagles who are going to be playing in the Super Bowl here next Sunday. Right? It's it's huge. If you remove Kelsey from that center position. Off of that offensive line in Philly, there's a lot of things that change, guys. Jalen Hurts is a phenomenal football player, a phenomenal human being, right? He's something else to watch. A.J. Brown has had a great year. Dallas Goddard. You're starting to see these pieces that I'm talking about. Like, center is more important than I've given it credit for in the past. It's creeping up there with left tackle for me. Tied in in certain schemes is very important, very important. We've neglected it, right? And it's caught up to us. We we need that solid tight end. We need that solid center. So if Elton could pop over to center and he continue to trend up and say he grades out in the upper 70s this year at center, I think that does a world of good for our offensive line because that center position can help those guards. That's how I see it personally. But if you go out and get a free agent and you upgrade the center position, you leave Elton Jenkins at left guard, now the weak spot becomes right guard where Runyon is. That's kind of how I see that sitting. So just wanted to lay that out. It's important to mention that because um, I feel like center is our biggest weak, weak spot, and a lot of people are talking about tackle, tackle, tackle. Guys, the play that comes to mind is when Aaron Rodgers was flushed out of the pocket there against Detroit, and uh, he, he ended up getting sacked. If you watch that play, that wasn't on the right tackle. The right tackle fanned out, did his job. What happened? Go watch the tape on that sack. What you see is John Runyon – kick out and he literally shoves the edge defender further out to where he beats the pass set off the right tackle spot. That was on Runyon. Like you've got to know right there. You've got help on the outside. You help inside. Don't force him further out. You want to funnel that guy back inside because that's where you're helping at. It was just a bonehead play. It's easy for me to say sitting from my couch. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm a, a better athlete than John Runyon. Lord have mercy. Don't even don't even begin to think that. It's just that's what you've seen on tape. Right tackle isn't the problem, in my opinion. It's right guard. It's right guard and center are the biggest needs on this offensive line. Now, that plays into a good spot because interior offensive linemen typically drop in a draft. Now, you don't want to draft Deshaun Ryan. Whew, that's a mess. That's a big, like, whoa, what is going on with Sean Ryan? You know, testing positive for a banned substance. And on top of that, he was playing – with a banned substance and was getting demolished by Devontae Wyatt in camp, right? He got demolished when he was put in the game in the preseason. Like just getting turned around, it's like, holy cow, dude. Or maybe it was maybe it was family night. I can't remember what it was, but when I seen him on the field, I was like, this guy's got a long ways to go. Not that he can't turn it around and I'm rooting him on. You want that third round pick to work out. But man, it's looking like a bad pick right now. Um, that's how I see the offensive line. Hopefully that kind of clears it up. Again, a lot of money to move around with David Bakhtiari. Nobody else on the roster offensive line-wise can you free up cap hit. It's going to have to come from Bakhtiari from that specific position group. Um, and then keep in mind that center and right guard are the weak spots. Let's don't stop progress with Zach Tom. Give him the entire offseason, the entire training camp at right tackle and say, hell or high water, he's our starting right tackle. That's going to be the way to handle it, in my opinion. So, as we get ready to wrap up here, I want to cover one more thing. We're going to get you guys out of here. 
consensus big boards starting to shape up. This is my favorite time of the year when it comes to the draft coverage because it's before the combine. Everything that's being said right now, guys, about these prospects, every little thing that's being said is all solely based on the tape. And to me, that's the most important aspect. Some of these guys are going to go out in gym shorts and they're going to run around on turf in a climate-controlled dome and people are going to fall in love with them, and their and their draft stock is going to skyrocket, and it's going to completely tank. And at the end of the day, it's going to be what did they do on the football field? And a lot of people are going to forget what they did on the football field. And that's why I love Greg Cosell. He strictly grades the tape. He says what did they do with the opportunities they were given? You know, it's like Zach Wilson. Everybody fell in love with Zach Wilson because he ran around in his pro day in gym shorts, throwing off platform, throwing cross body, all these things that you t- – isn't it amazing that we put so much value in certain aspects of quarterback's game, really anybody's game. But then when you get – as soon as they get to practice, you go, this is what he can do well. He can throw off platform. He can throw across his body, right? He's got a cannon for an arm. And then you get in a game situation or in practice, and it's like, listen, don't throw off platform. Do not throw across your body. <laughs> Do not throw late across the middle, right? You don't have to rocket that ball in right there. Touch. Put more touch on the ball. It's just wild to me that we put so much value in those things. You know, the big darling right now from what I'm hearing around Twitter is Anthony Richardson. You guys know, I, I told you I watched Anthony. I live down here in the South. I watched the SEC football. I watched Anthony Richardson all year long. And I, I can't remember one game where I'm like, wow, look at this guy. He's extremely accurate. Look at that quick release. You know, look at his pre-snap and, and post-snap decision making. Now they'll say, man, he can navigate the pocket. Yeah, he can navigate the pocket. They said the same exact thing about Zach Wilson. Like, if someone asked me, who do you compare Anthony Richardson to right now from previous drafts? I can't help but have Zach Wilson pop in my mind. Why? Arm strength versatility, mobility. Look at the way he creates plays, secondary reaction to plays. He's got a cannon for an arm. It's like, bro, what about quick release and timing? What about pocket presence? You know, people that say he has pocket presence, what I've seen is the ball snapped one and a half seconds and he's out moving around. Like that ain't going to cut it in the NFL. You're going you're gonna to see Justin Fields' top passing numbers if he continues that. I'm not saying he can't fix it. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing there because I'm not a scout. This is just my initial reaction to watching him play this year. Justin Fields, they said the same thing. Got a cannon for a freaking arm, and, man, he's a freak athlete, right? Zach Wilson, got a cannon for an arm, and he's a freak athlete. Maybe not so much a freak as Justin Fields, obviously, with 40 time and all that. That's what I see with Anthony Richardson. Um I graded him out, and he was my—he was the lowest of those uh, first-round prospects for the quarterbacks on my book. Now that could change; it could. I haven't done a deep dive, nor will I. I'm not a scout. This is just this is tongue in cheek. Take it how you will. That's just kind of how I see that, right? So I mentioned that because as the combine, as the pro days, and everything happen, you're going to see some of these guys skyrocket through the roof, right? Right now, the consensus big board. This isn't a quarterback. When I, I wanted to talk about the Packers' projected picks, right? But I'm just going to go down and talk about the consensus big board and where they have people right now. Consensus big board, quarterback-wise, C.J. Stroud at number one, Bryce Young at number four, Will Levis at number six. And let's scroll on down here. Anthony Richardson is 15 on the big board right now. They got him projected going to Carolina at number nine. Okay? So they have him rated the same way I did. You guys remember, I had C.J. Stroud first. This was from me watching the tape and grading four aspects that I think are most important. Accuracy, quick release, pre-snap read, post-snap read. Those are the four things that I feel like make the the most complete quarterback. Notice how I didn't say 40 time. Notice how I didn't say mobility. Notice how I didn't say arm strength. Guys, anybody who makes it to the NFL level, they've got arm strength to play in the NFL. You don't have to have a guy that can throw the ball 73 yards. You don't. What you do need is someone who's going to make the right decisions. They're going to come out pre-snap. They're going to diagnose them. They're going to, okay, let's let's identify the mic. Let's set the protection. What do we have here? Here's my hot. Okay, little hand signal. Bang, we got that set up. All right, ball snap. As soon as the ball snap, post-snap read. Where's the late rotation? What were they sugaring? What look are they actually in? Where does it take my side adjustment? What stage do I move through the progressions in this 
passing concept here, this route combination, and then it's how quickly can I get rid of the ball because the quicker the release, the longer you get to read the defense, right? Pre-snap read, you set all that stuff up. Post-snap read, you're identifying what coverage they're actually in and where the sugar lies, okay? No pun intended. And then quick releases, here's where I'm going with the ball. It's out fast, and how accurate can I deliver the ball? Anthony Richardson's completion percentage was the lowest of those four. In my opinion, there was only one player that had a quicker release than the other three, and that was C.J. Stroud, right? When you look at post-snap reads and interceptions and things like that, you know, I'm telling you, it's plain as day. I I feel like it's coming down to C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Those are the two best quarterback prospects in this draft, right? I could be wrong. Anthony Richardson could turn around and be the best prospect. It could happen. He could be the next Lamar Jackson, although I personally believe Lamar Jackson is somewhat overrated. That's just me personally. If you removed his ability to scramble, how how good would Lamar Jackson rank in the NFL? Now, there, his MVP year, absolutely, he lit it up, right? So that's kind of how I see it, and it looks like the consensus big board. I didn't even check this before I did the show. Um, I was actually going in to look at the Packers' projected picks, but we kind of got off on this topic because talking about how players fall, and this is the time of year I like to really focus on the consensus big board. Um, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are definitely above Will Levis and uh, and Anthony Richardson. That's how they have it sitting. So let's look at it here. Consensus big board. What do they have the Packers taking right now projection-wise? They have the Packers taking Michael Mayer, at number 15. I want you to understand how the consensus big board works. This is a ton of people putting their information in and they're ranking every single player. And then if a player, it looks like, man, there's a really good shot. They're going to go to this team. Then they have the projection for them, what number and what team they're going to. Okay. That's how this lines up. So you've got the overall rank and where they peaked. Right. And then on the right, you've got where they're projected. So if you go down to Number 13 is where the Packers' first projection pops up. It's Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC. They have him projected to go number 45, so don't get that twisted, okay? They don't have him going number 15 to Green Bay. It's number 45. They're saying that Jordan. they think Jordan Addison would drop to Green Bay at number 45. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But on 18th on the big board, they have Michael Mayer going to Green Bay at number 15. That's exciting for me. You guys don't need me to explain again why that's exciting. Um, I love Notre Dame. I love Michael Mayer. I think he's going to be a, a a solid tight end. Again, when it comes to the combine, there's probably going to be a lot of people turned off, and I think that's personally a good thing if the Packers really love Michael Mayer. We need to we need that tight end that can play every every position. What do I mean by that? Attached attached to the offensive line as a traditional tight end, flexed Y flex in the slot and also play the boundary X, right? That's Or the boundary Z, however you want to say it, just boundary receiver. He can do all those things. He's not going to burn you up, but I'm telling you, man, if you listen to his scouting report and you listen to Bill Belichick talk about on the on the NFL's top 100 all-time list where he was talking about Rob Gronkowski, if you guys haven't seen that, I'm not talking about the annual, you know, the yearly top 100. Bill Belichick and Rich Eisen broke down the top 100 players of all time. Right. Rob Gronkowski fell in that top 100 and Bill Belichick was like, man, coming out initially coming out of the, uh, you know, into the league. It was he had some health issues, but he was just very stiff, very stiff in how he played. But what blew us away once we got him on the field and we realized, holy cow, even though he's so stiff, his catch radius is amazing. He can always position himself and it looked it looked wonky at times, but he just would always figure out a way to catch the ball. That's what you see with Michael Mayer, right? So when you talk about Michael Mayer going at number 15, what does PFF think about him? PFF, of all the tight ends that are entering the 2023 draft, to the best of my knowledge, there may be some players missing. I noticed there were some wide receivers missing off this list we'll talk about here in a second. Michael Mayer is the number one ranked player. Number one. 92.5 PFF grade. Listen to this. Receiving grade, 91.6. For, for a guy who's 6'4", 265, like this guy, I'm telling you, man, he he's my crush of the draft. There's no two ways about it. Uh, to me, he's just – and he's not going to wow you. It's not going to be these huge flash plays and splash plays that everybody fall in love with. He's going to be that guy that's just going to slowly wear down a defense. It, everything that you see Kelsey do, 
on Sundays. I'm not suggesting Michael Mayer is a Hall of Fame tight end. All I'm saying is you don't see Kelsey making wild plays. What you hear fans saying, typical fans, people like me watching the games, how is he open there? He ran a seven-yard curl route. How is he open? There's a lot of option routes, right, choice routes built within that Andy Reid evolved West Coast offense, and they'll literally just read the hips of the defenders, and he'll sit down and Pat Mahomes will go to him. So it, it's it's amazing if you really look into their passing concepts and how they run their passing game. It's a it's a pretty remarkable offense. Of course, you got Pat Mahomes that can you know make people miss in the backfield by time for these these players to get open. But that's what Michael Mayer can do. He can, there's nothing that Kelsey's doing that Michael Mayer can't physically do. So why are we worried about the forty time? That's that's what I'm getting at here. So again, they have him going number fifteen to the Green Bay Packers. He grades out as the best tight end this year's draft. Let's move on to that number forty five, where they're saying wide receiver Jordan Allison, uh, Jordan Addison, I should say. I'm sorry. PFF grade eighty one point five, eighty one point five. Why do I mention that? PFF wise, guys, that's number fourteen of the draft eligible receivers this year. So there are thirteen other wide receivers that graded out higher on PFF. Granted, some of them are within two or three points, right? Um, but taking him at 45, thats I think that's why they're suggesting he's going to drop the 45. But when you get to 45, what other players would you be interested in taking over him? You know, Here's my favorite second choice, tight end Dalton Kincaid. So let's say you take Michael Mayer. At 92 point, or let, let's don't even let's assume you didn't take Michael Mayer at number 15. Let's make her number 45 pick before anything else. At number 45, if Dalton Kincaid's there, and a lot of people are suggesting he will be there at number 45, he's a tight end out of Utah State. I believe it's Utah State. Let me make sure. I don't want to misquote it. Um, Utah, just Utah. Dalton Kincaid. If we took him at number 45, guys, he is the number two tight end in this year's draft, according to PFF grades. 90.2, only 2.5 points less than Michael Mayer. So let's say you pass up on Michael Mayer at number 15 and you wanted Dalton Kincaid at number 45. Now you're risking somebody else taking him, and now you haven't filled that tight end position. That's where it's going to come down to best player available, who's the top-tier talent, right? That's what it's going to come down to. So with that being said, I would much rather see them take Dalton Kincaid at number 45 the consensus big board has him projected at number 48. So they're suggesting he will be there at 45. So if you know going in, we want to take Dalton Kincaid at number 45. Now it becomes, is Michael Mayer, Mayer a top-tier talent? Meaning, let's say let's say those top 15 picks are broken down into tiers of five, or yeah, to, into three tiers, one, uh, you know, each tier of five players, okay? Let's say Michael Mayer, they, the Packers front office have him graded out in that very top tier. Take him take him, and then come back and get Dalton Kincaid. I know Twitter would absolutely blow up if we took two tight ends, one in the first round, one in the second round. But I'm telling you, you got to take multiple swings to get it right. If Michael Mayer ends up being a bust, that would be a hard one to stomach. It wouldn't be the first time that we busted on a first-round pick. I mean, some people are now saying Eric Stokes is. A lot of people have already said Darnell Savage is, right? So what is it that – separates them and makes you think that player can be a great player in the NFL, a starting caliber player, because that's essentially what you're looking for here. 92.5 PFF grades, pretty freaking high, man. Dalton Kincaid, 90.2, right? So let's assume you go for a wide receiver with that number 15 pick, right? Let's say there's a wide receiver that you may want. What does PFF suggest? Again, I pointed out that they have – um they have our boy Jordan Addison graded much lower, right, as the 14th best wide receiver prospect. When I say that, it's it's simple grades, right? You know, like Charlie Jones is above him at, a, at just 0.6 more or 0.1 more. And there's a guy above them that's 0.5 more. So it's, it's very close there. You've got a range. You've got like five or six wide receivers there that are very, very close together, right? Um, and some of the players may not be on this list. I'm going to tell you a player that really stands out to me, and he's turning heads evidently at the Senior Bowl. Um, and that's, uh, if I'm saying his name right, Puka Nakua. Puka Nakua. You're going, what did you just say? There's a wide receiver named Puka Nakua from BYU. He is the highest-graded wide receiver 
guys, the highest graded wide receiver in the entire draft class, according to PFF college grades from last year, 89.8. Now you're, you're going, yeah, but you can't put everything in PFF. I completely agree. I do. I'm not suggesting you take him with the number 15 or the number 45 pick. Please don't, don't get me wrong. I think his draft stock is going to rise now after the senior bowl. But I just want to point this out. When it comes to him on the consensus big board, here is where Puka comes in. Puka comes all the way in, and I got to go pretty far down on the freaking list to find it. Let me make sure we're set here to 2023. We are. And we have him coming in on the big board. Holy cow. 151. He peaked at 134. He dropped before the senior bowl to 151. My guess is he'll go back up around that peak spot. So you're talking about him being available possibly, according to the consensus big board, a little later in the draft. I'm not suggesting right now that you should spend a second-round pick on him, right? But I am saying keep your eye on that that prospect because I I haven't seen anything injury news-wise and all that. Um, But according to PFF, man, he had an outstanding year. It's going to be fun to kind of see where he falls into place. So why did we do that exercise as we wrap this up? There are four players I want you to really key in on because these are the names that are getting mentioned when it comes to the Green Bay Packers in the 2023 draft. Two tight ends, okay? Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid, okay? And then you got wide receiver Jordan Addison and then a late-round gym that I want you to look into named Puka Nakua, all right? I'm going to spell it for you. It's P-U-K-A-N-A-C-U-A. If you just go to BYU's roster, consensus big board, look for BYU symbol, you'll see him there. Look into him because that might be a nice little later draft steal, and I'm not talking about fifth or sixth round. I think he'll probably go in the top three rounds based off what I'm reading online about him. Um, But that's a player to kind of look for, man. So if – It's all about taking the best player available. Guys, I'm going to tell you this right now, and this is going to ruffle a lot of feathers, but I'm just going to say it. If somehow, someway, and I know it won't happen, if somehow, someway, C.J. Stroud, my top quarterback prospect, was to drop to 15, then you take him. If he were to drop to 13, maybe you trade up and get him. Now, the one guy that keeps popping up is Quentin Johnston, wide receiver out of TCU. I hear a lot of people say they love him, right? And – You know, again, I'm not a scout, so I'm not going to say they're wrong and I'm right. But it made me want to go in and go, man, what was his PFF grade? How did he grade out? Quentin Johnston. I've got him right here. I can't count it all off, but he was the 129th highest graded wide receiver in the entire NCAA. I can't count it off to tell you what he rates out as prospect. If I were to guess, it looks like 10, 20, probably around 20 to 25 as far as PFF grade. It's a 76.2. Why is he graded so high? Raw talent, man. It's what sells. It's why we jumped off of everybody's boards and went and took Quay uh, Quay Walker last year, right, in the first round because it's that raw ability, that raw physical talent. Um, it's worked out in the past for teams. It's busted for a lot of teams. I could think of a lot of wide receivers that had crazy 40 times, right, and they were drafted and they're already out of the league. Now, I'm not suggesting that Quentin Johnson isn't the real deal, right? Um, I know if you guys listening uh, listen to our draft show, it's always draft season with Jake. Everything I've seen from Jake, he's very high on Quentin Johnson, and I definitely, I definitely trust his opinion over PFF grades, right? Because you don't know who's grading the tape there. I have a lot of respect for Jake and what he does, but just trying to say, keep an eye on those four. Let's look into them and see how they go through this offseason, uh, You know, as far as combine and pro day. Tight end Michael Mayer, tight end Dalton Kincaid, wide receiver Jordan Addison, wide receiver Puka Nakua. All right, so that's kind of where we're going to end it. And, uh, again, we covered the offensive line. There's there's maneuverability within Bakhtiari's contract to do a restructure. Um, we're setting ourselves up to free up a ton of money next year if we walk away from him, like $20 million, something like that. And everything's going to hinge on Aaron Rodgers' decision, which should come – pretty much immediately following the Super Bowl. I I wouldn't be surprised if it goes up right to the edge of free agency as far as the decision, but I think there's a good chance that the week after the Super Bowl, 
maybe midweek. Maybe he announces it on Tuesday after the Super Bowl. There's a good chance for that, right? It might be the following Tuesday. I kind of feel like he's going to announce it on the Pat McAfee show to give his buddy that extra clout. But um, we'll see how it goes. So that's where we're wrapping it up. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Hope everybody has an awesome Monday afternoon. If you're listening to this on Sunday, hey, awesome. But most people catch this on Monday during the workday. And we just want to say thank you so much for making us a part of your day. I want to thank everybody on Twitter. We passed 6,000 followers. It's like a few days ago. I put a tweet out just thanking everybody. Hey, appreciate you guys connecting. And now we're up to like 6,250. So we're well on our way to 10 grand. Uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, get to 10,000 followers, and uh, and we're going to try to start producing some special content and do some really cool stuff there. So, man, when I started, I didn't expect it to blow up like it has, but it's uh, been a real blessing that people have helped me along the way, Ryan Schlipp being number one. Um, obviously, Jacob, he's taking a, a, a GM role, if I understood correctly, at the restaurant he works at, so he's really busy. Appreciate all his time and effort that he's put in on post-game shows and just off-season stuff. Justin's kind of filling that role right now while Jacob's doing his stuff, which uh, it's not to say that Justin is less than Jacob. I, I think those two guys know just as much about football than I do. And I know they would disagree, but I, I believe that, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Everybody who's supported us, you guys have been absolutely great. You know, people like Rob Westerman coming on the show last week and, and just talking ball with us, uh, Matt Ramage. Uh, one of my go-to guys, love that guy. I'm actually going to be on his show, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday night. I need to check the thread there and get that hammered out on the calendar. But I'm going to be live on his show with him, hanging out, talking ball. There's a lot of cool stuff coming on. I know there's people I'm, I miss that I haven't uh, you know, mentioned here. Uh, you know who you are, man. Everybody who's connected with me on Twitter, sent emails. Uh, just, I don't know, man. It, it's cool to see things come together, but at the same time, it's even it's, it's way cooler just to, to create you know new friendships. Uh, through football, whether they're Packer fans or not. Um, it's just uh, – it's been a, a really cool experience, and I didn't – I thought we'd start a Twitter account and probably sit there at less than a 1,000 followers and just have some fun doing a podcast, and it looks like we're well on our way to 10,000 and beyond right now. So we're going to keep this train rolling. With that being said, hope everybody has a great day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career. Christian Watson, you can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.